welcome in Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. Morning, Matt. Welcome back to Sports 1440. Thank you very much, Kevin. Was that Don Henley you had playing me in? It put me in a good mood. Well, you know, sometimes we ask our guests if they enjoy their intro song, so I, I guess you like that one? I do, you know. I think he's a good talent, and mm-hmm. just, uh, it's upbeat, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, sad news around the hockey world, and sometimes you need something to, to get you feeling good. Well, that's what the Duke tries to do. You know, in, in a sad world, he tries to bring a spark of joy every morning with our uh, intro song. So uh, whether it be the Eagles or his Brian Adams 740 uh, hit, it, it's just a nonstop uh, around here. Uh, thanks for hopping on again, uh, Matt. Uh, just to, are, you a, are you a big all-star kind of game guy or the skills? Are you looking forward to maybe the skills a little more this year with the, the Bucks on the line and things like that? Yeah, I, I think most of the time I always say that the quality of the All-Star game is inversely proportional to the amount of contact in the sport. So the Pro Bowl is the worst. Mm-hmm. The NHL All-Star game tends to be the second worst. Major League Baseball has the least amount of contact. So the All-Star game is by far the best because you can replicate the real thing the best. That said... I am excited for the changes this year. I think they've done a good job overhauling everything. Bringing back the player draft is exciting. That's usually good for some laughs. We'll see who the next Phil Kessel is going to be picked last. (laughs) And I do think the change in the skills competition is going to be very exciting. Having 12 competitors, eight different events going for a million bucks. I'm a little concerned for their safety considering it ends with an obstacle course, but I assume the NHL has gone to great lengths to plan this out, and we don't want to see any of our stars getting hurt. So hopefully it works out, and I'm more excited than I've been in a while. Hmm. You know, I was asking Frank Saravalli yesterday if he knew what this obstacle course looked like uh, to close out the skills competition. He said he had no idea. So I kind of agree with you. I hope, uh, you know, you never want to see anybody get hurt. The, the fastest skater thing is the one where you go, oh, boy, someone, you know, blows out a wheel, and next thing you know, he goes into the boards. It's happened a few times, and everyone just sort of holds their breath, I guess. That's right. And, and the parent in me always wants to say, put a helmet on. It makes me nervous <laughs> when I see them whipping around those corners. I can say with the obstacle course, what we do know is that it will combine elements of every other event. So I, it sounds like it's going to be the players having to redo a little bit of each event all in a row as part of this final circuit. So that might be a hint as to what the obstacle course will look like, but we'll see. Matt Larkin, Daily Faceoff, our guest on Sports 1440. You just had the, I guess, episode 46, Puck Poolies, and uh, just uh, let's discuss this a little bit. What was kind of catching your eye and what, uh, you know, content and what were the main topics of uh, this episode here on the Daily, daily Faceoff? Well, for Puck Toolies, because we're a fantasy hockey podcast, of course, uh, we always sort of take stock at this point as we go into the All-Star break. I shuffle the deck and do a new edition of the fantasy rankings, which will be dropping tomorrow on Daily Faceoff, the top 300. And we sort of were just going over various difficult decisions that were made when I was making these rankings. Sometimes it's a matter of deciding at the top, right? Is it Connor McDavid? Still number one, Nathan McKinnon's being the best player in fantasy hockey this year. But at the same time, he has the injury history. He usually misses time. And I do expect Connor McDavid to be the best player from now until the end of the season. So I did still keep number 97 in first place in those rankings. And the other element when we're at this time of year, when you're going through your rankings, you're trying to project out how every player will perform the rest of the season. And that includes guys who might get traded. Those are the hardest players to project. So, for example, Elias Lindholm on the Calgary Flames having a really bad year by his standards, but there's a great chance 
he gets traded to a really exciting situation, whether it's Colorado or Boston, whatever it might be, and might be playing with elite players, and his numbers could skyrocket. So that's someone you have to project as if he's going to do better on, on a new team. So it's difficult to do at this time of year, but it's fun as well. And then how much do you kind of focus on prospects as well when you're doing something like this? I know Stephen Ellis, that's kind of his bread and, and butter at the DFO, but where, where do you kind of look forward and, and kind of just touch on that basis? Yeah, I think the prospect focus in the rankings, uh, it's greater before the season starts because that's when we have a sense of which players are making their teams and making an impact over the course of the season. In hockey, compared to, let's say, a sport like baseball, when you have mid-season call-ups, the impacts, I find, are not quite as strong. If you have a prospect coming up from the AHL in the middle of a year, uh, you might see sometimes a player come in from college turning pro, and he helps in in the real playoffs, but by then the fantasy hockey season is over. So when you're doing mid-season rankings, Mm -hmm. the prospects don't matter as much. The one thing I'll say is prospect pedigree matters. So if you have a player who's been in the league for a couple years – and his performance suddenly takes off, and that player was a first-round pick, you sort of chalk it up to not necessarily being a fluke, and you pay more attention. So it's almost like former prospects are of particular interest when you're in the middle of the season. A good example being Ukepeka Lukanen in Buffalo having a great surge in their net, and people thought Devin Levi was going to be the star, but I think a lot of people forget UPL was considered the best goalie prospect in the world maybe five years ago. So that's an example of a former prospect mm-hmm. suddenly becoming relevant. Matt Larkin, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440, as we are in the All-Star break, are there surprises between either, you know, you can touch on other players or teams? Are there certain surprises that maybe have caught your eye at the break at this point of the season that maybe you kind of went at the beginning, oh, this guy or this team really, I didn't think that this was going to happen, or and now you look at it and go, holy cow, I was a little off at this at the start of the season. For sure. I think the biggest surprise is to me just so many teams that fast. Mm, I think we might have lost Matt. Do we still got him, Duke, or not? We'll we'll try to get Matt back. I think uh, just lost a connection here. That's uh, Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. And uh, I guess the last question that I posed to him was, uh, are there surprises player-wise or are there surprises team-wise? And I think we got Matt back on the line here. Can you hear me now, Matt? I can, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, so I guess just I posed the question, surprises maybe team-wise or player-wise at this point of the season for you? Yeah, so what I was saying was uh, I think the biggest surprise to me is looking at the standings and seeing how many teams that really expected to be Stanley Cup contenders who are just barely even in the fight to make the playoffs. So the Pittsburgh Penguins stand out. You trade for the reigning Norris Trophy winner. You're bringing Kyle Dubas. They brought in so many pieces, Riley Smith, Ryan Graves, and they're not looking like a team that's going to make the playoffs right now. New Jersey Devils, of course, that was my Stanley Cup pick. And as of yesterday, their playoff odds, 20.1%. So many injuries, so many goaltending problems. So in the standings, I'm seeing surprises. In terms of individual performances, I think you you have to point to Sam Reinhart having this unbelievable contract year uh, for the Florida Panthers, and he's been almost keeping pace with Austin Matthews in the goals column, which is pretty amazing. The shooting percentage doesn't look sustainable. It might be a little bit like Bo Horvat a year ago. He was on a 60-goal pace halfway through the season, and it fell off, so we might see that. But either way, 
talk about uh, delivering in a contract year. And I just think we've seen some really fascinating goaltending performances, guys coming seemingly out of nowhere, Joey Decord in Seattle, Connor Ingram in Arizona, Alex Lyon in Detroit. It just seems like every year we're finding these goaltending gems who take over and become stars. You know, it's funny you mentioned Joey Decord as we're speaking with Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. Our Tuesday co-host here on the Kevin Carey Show is Grant Fear. Grant does a color commentary for the Coachella Valley Firebirds where Joey Decord's kind of been seasoning and getting ready. And now he's sitting here with a 2.32 goals against average fourth in the league. And Grant said right from day one and when we started the show here in Sports 1440 that Joey Decord is going to be an unbelievable goaltender. He's going to be a top, a top level, higher echelon goaltender in the NHL. And we're all kind of going, really, Grant? And then you see what's going on here. He is, in my mind, one of the most pleasant surprises uh, going forward. Uh, one question team-wise for you, Matt. What about Vancouver? I mean, did you, did you first of all, did you have Vancouver as a playoff team at the start of the year? And what can you say about the fact that they're probably the only team really, at least in the West, that has never had a little bit of a stumble here yet? Yes, it's a great question. Um, I'm proud to say I did have the Vancouver playoff team going into the season. I saw some positive signs in the second half. Rick Tockett took over. They look like a better team defensively. They added some nice pieces on the defensive side of the puck. So even a forward like Pia Suter, Teddy Bluger, those are good defensive forwards. They brought in Carson Soucy. They fortified that blue line. The Philip Hronick trade hadn't yet paid dividends because he was banged up late in the season, but I thought it was going to be a good move and it was going to allow Quinn Hughes to move over to the left side instead of constantly moving back and forth and sometimes having to play his offside. So you have a team that is playing more disciplined defensively. Thatcher Demko was really good in the second half when he came back from injury as well. And then you still have all that star power. That was the element of the team that even last year was already present. Elias Pettersson, 102 points last year. JT Miller playing well after a slow start last year. So much talent. Quinn Hughes, of course, and... Then, of course, I think the biggest surprise to me is Brock Besser, someone whose shot volume is way down. And yes, he's been a bit lucky with the shooting percentage this year, but it's nice to see him finally get that 30-goal season. But if you tie it all together, you have a team that already had a lot of high-end talent. What was missing was depth and discipline. And now they have those two under Rick Tockett, who I think is the front runner to win the Jack Adams Award. And I think this is actually a true contender. I don't know if they're the team to beat. They still have some flaws, but I think they are for real. And I, I, I had them more of a wild card team when I was forecasting them. I didn't think they'd be this good, but it just feels like every single piece has come together. And it's possible we see them add another important player leading up to the trade deadline. Matt Larkin, our guest on Sports 1440. What do you make of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Matt? About two weeks ago, I said that the Leafs were not a lock to make the playoffs, but because of the Islanders, Penguins, Devils, and Capitals being uh, mediocre for the last couple of weeks, now the Leafs are kind of, you know, they're kind of solidifying a spot. What's your take on uh, T.O.? Yeah, they sort of are what I thought they were uh, in the summer. So when I looked at the moves that Brad True Living made, I didn't love them. And I said in the summer, this team is still going to score a lot, but they're going to regress a lot defensively. And that's exactly what's happened. I think when you bring in players like Max Domi, John Klingberg, Ryan Reeves, all those players are known for being black holes defensively. So even if they bring other elements, I think it was there in plain sight that this team was going to take a big step back. And that's exactly what they've done. It doesn't surprise me at all. I think this is who they are. Mm-hmm. They're still a dangerous team. They they showed that against the Winnipeg Jets, of course, two big wins. They can still score at the best of them. They still have the star power. But I don't think they're a top-tier contender because they just don't defend very well. 
seeing them up close regularly, there are nights when the defensive zone coverage is pretty embarrassing almost. That would be the word I use. Um, so it's going to be a matter of does Bradford Living think he has the horses if he upgrades the decor? I almost wonder if this team needs to trade for two defensemen, not one. So maybe it's Chris Tanna, but maybe you have to go and get another guy, whether it's a Nick Sealer or Sean Walker, whoever it might be. But this team is not tough enough to play against. I think if you're a Leafs fan, the silver lining, this is a team that for so many years in a row already had its playoff spot kind of locked up very early in the year and knew its opponent. This time they're going to be battle-tested. They're coming into the playoffs. If they make it, they might be getting in in the final week, the final day. They could be in a situation like we saw with the Florida Panthers last year where you're so battle-tested that you're almost in playoff mode anyway, and then you roll into the playoffs and you're already kind of ready for battle. Uh, and so I think that's what you're hoping for if you're a Leafs fan, that maybe being in the trenches with all those wild-card teams is going to actually make them stronger. Hey, Matt, what do you make of the Detroit Red Wings? Looks like Patrick Kane will be returning to the lineup soon there as well. Yeah, to me, they're the definition of what the kids say, what the kids call <laughs> mid. And to me, I look at what Steve Eiserman done uh, has done, and I think he jumped the gun a little bit in the last two off-seasons. I don't think he had enough high-end talent. He spent a lot of money on mid-tier free agents, guys like Andrew Kopp, JT Comfer, those types. It did help to bring in a higher-end talent like Alex Dabrinkit, but when I just look at the total package, I just don't know if this team has a high enough ceiling to really make noise. And, yes, they have some exciting prospects, of course. Simon Edmondson, you have guys like Carter Mazur, Sebastian Cosa. You've brought through, you've graduated to the pros, guys like Moritz Sider and, of course, Lucas Raymond. But what the Wings don't have is a projected center who's going to be uh, the type of player that challenges for scoring titles. So when you don't have that piece to build around, I wonder if Iserman made his move too soon. And now you have this team. To me, I just see a team that's going to be in that wild card bubble for years to come. I don't see Mm -hmm. a very high ceiling. I think they're, they're decent. They're improved. They're competitive. But even if they make the playoffs, to me, they look like a pretty, uh, pretty pushover opponent for whoever the higher seat would be. Text coming in, one 1440 Why aren't we talking about McKinnon having points in all his home games this year? 51-25, and 25, that comes from Mitchell. Okay, let's talk about it. Matt Larkin, uh, top two guys, I guess, in the Hart Trophy race right now would be Kucherov and McKinnon. But what's your take on McKinnon, the season he's had? He's really powered the avalanche to where they are. And just your thoughts on what Nate the Great is doing. It's just been a joy to watch. Uh, I always say, you know, he has the the speed and fury of Connor McDavid, but also the power of, let's say, a peak Alex Ovechkin. He almost reminds me, if you're an NFL fan, like of Adrian Peterson in his prime, no one wanted to tackle him when he had a head of steam. And Mm -hmm. Nathan McKinnon, to me, it's just, he's just galloping down the ice when he has that head of steam. It's so exciting. He plays with almost an anger, ferocity. So I really enjoy watching him. And to me, I'm just hoping as a fan to see him get through a whole season because McKinnon almost never plays a whole season. You just get good to miss half a dozen games, 10, 12, 14, 15 games a year. Kind of reminiscent of of again Malkin in his prime where the talent was so elite, but he almost never played a full season. So I'm really hoping he gets to 82 games, even 80 games, can finally add that Hart Trophy to his trophy case, maybe in Art Ross as well, because we're seeing a Hall of Fame resume being built here. Of course, he's got the playoff success now, and he's been consistently elite, but he's never been able to break through and take home the major hardware because mm-hmm. he always plays too few games, right? Last year he had, I think it was 111 points, but he yeah. missed about a dozen games. 
So I just want to see one full season of Pete McKinnon. Hopefully this is it. We've gotten it so far. Now he's at 84 points right now. He should be passing 111 if uh, he stays healthy. Here's one more question for you, and I was uh, talking to Pierre Lebrun about this a couple years ago. When there is, and hopefully there is, a best-on-best, and Canada plays whomever, would you play Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid on the same line? I love that question. And I think I would. Uh, As someone who's made a lot of mock-ups, because, of course, we keep doing these mock-ups and we keep losing these tournaments that are open for us. So I've done it many times over the years. Uh, And because Canada would have so much other depth to work with at center, uh, I would try it. Yes, I would like to see the nuclear option and have McDavid and McKinnon on the first line together. That would be nuclear, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm just sure trying would. to figure out who the, who the left winger would be. Never know. Well, it's funny. When, it uh, was Jonathan Huberto when I did it a few years ago, oh, okay. but that's really changed. So now uh, Canada's gotten more of a crisis on that left wing. It would take a little more uh, thinking. Maybe throw Connor Bedard on the left wing, see what happens. Wow. <laughs> uh, hey, that Matt. Yeah, yeah would that be something? Uh, hey, Matt, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the All Star break and uh, have a peekaboo at uh, the skills and, and the game on the weekend. Thanks for this. I sure will. Thanks so much, Kevin. That's Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff.